0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Hendrix Murphy's podcast, Relit, where literature and language are always topical. We hope you enjoy. So yeah, welcome to the first episode of (laughs) Hendrix Murphy's new podcast, Relit, where we're going to talk about literature and language, pretty much so. Uh, I'm Danielle Kuntz. And I am part of the class and Murphy Scholar cohort of 2023. Um, and you guys can introduce yourselves as well.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I'm Adeja Cooper. I'm an artist and I'm also part of the Hendrix Murphy Scholars Class of 2023. And I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Yay.
2: And Mary? I... I was, um... <laughs> I'm Mary Ngavide, and I'm a student from uh, Rwanda, East Africa, or you can say Africa. I don't like to generalize that way. Um, and uh, I'm a senior in my last semester, and I'm a an English creative writing major.
0: Nice, nice. Me too. That's one of them. <laughs> okay, so we are going to... So, of course, this episode is about... Um, people of color in contemporary literature and as authors especially and what we've chosen for this episode are about five poems or I guess you'd call them that like one is an excerpt from a larger work and that's just for the purpose of keeping everything kind of short so the podcast episode doesn't go like beyond the length of time it should I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first one we have is titled Praise by Angelo Getter I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, And I'll go ahead and read that one. This one was actually suggested to me by Hope um, when I was telling her about the topic of the first episode. And yeah, so, and then we'll talk about the author and we'll talk about the form after reading it. What's
2: Sorry, Mary. Uh, I have a quick question, Danielle. Uh, What's the topic? I have a quick question. What's the topic? I mean, like, is it, are we like, The general um, Black Lives Matter or is it there is like a subtopic for today's podcast or something?
0: Um, I guess our topic in general is just discussing the writings of people of color which pretty much inherently intertwine with Black Lives Matter so yeah I guess you could say that's definitely part of it but uh, probably not like the main focus though and it's inevitable with literature written by people of color of course. So yeah, don't be afraid. This conversation can go wherever. Um, Yeah. Alrighty, so I'll get started with the first poem here, which again is Praise by Angelo Getter. Today I will praise. I will praise the sun for showering its light on this darkened vessel. I will praise its shine. Praise the way it wraps my skin in ultraviolet ultimatums demanding to be seen. I will lift my hands in adoration of how something so bright could be so heavy. I will praise the ground that did not make feast of these bones. Praise the casket that did not become a shelter for flesh. Praise the bullets that called in sick to work. Praise the trigger that went on vacation. Praise the chalk that did not outline a body today. Praise the body for still being a body and not a headstone. Praise the body for being a body and not a police report. Praise the body for being a body and not a memory no one wants to forget. Praise the memories. Praise the laughs and smiles you thought had been evicted from your jawline. Praise the eyes for seeing and still believing, for being blinded from faith, but never losing their vision. Praise the visions. Praise the prophets who don't profit off of those visions. Praise the heart for housing this living room of emotions Praise the trophy that is my name. Praise the gift that is my name. Praise the name that is my name, which no one can plagiarize or gentrify. Praise the praise. How the throat sounds like a choir. The harmony in your tongue lifts into a song of adoration. Praise yourself for being able to praise, for waking up when you had every reason not to. Okay, well that is the poem. Um, so before we jump into discussion, a little about the author, um, let's see here. So Angela Getter is a poet and a performance artist, also known in the spoken word world as Iambic. Um, he's a national poetry slam champion and the director of campus programming at Winthrop University, and he's releasing his de- debut poetry collection in late 2020, so that's something to look forward to. Um, also, he's the poet laureate of Rock Hill, South Carolina. So, yeah, he has a lot going on <laughs> for him. <laughs> um, so, what are your what are you guys' initial thoughts about this poem? What what jumps out at you?
1: One, well, this this poem is really beautiful to me, and um, one thing that really popped out was just the the repeated use of the word praise, especially in certain contexts, and. Just how um, Getter, he he uses it in a way to contrast with the certain uh, settings. For example, when he says, praise the caskets or praise the the bullets, it really just, it's, it's really interesting to me just to see how those two things, something that a word that's used for admiration and words that are used for death can just be used together. Um, it's really interesting, really impactful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think that this is pretty prominent in this time. What's interesting to me about this is, under the about this poem, it says that he wrote this poem about six months ago, which for him, I guess, was around Christmas time. Um, I'm not exactly sure when the publishing date of this poem. Oh, yeah, okay, June fifteenth. So, wow, very recent. Um, yeah, so around Christmas time this last year. Um, so this is before, like, the recent, uh, I guess, like, rise of the Black Lives Matter movement coming up again, and it's interesting to note that this is something that was on his mind even then, and I guess that's just, that's just common, but, um, yeah, the fact that he is praising and trying to find something... To be thankful for and something good out of all of the bad things that people of color have to experience, I I think it's it's very it's very nice to have a poem like this um, in the time that we're in. So
2: yes, I yeah. agree.
0: Um,
2: yeah. I've, I've been listening to you guys as I also keep going back through it's really powerful I think uh, at the right after you finish reading it I just got like chills all over running uh, down my arms and uh, the part that that stands out to me he really goes on about the body I know that he makes so many repetitions throughout but it's like the body the body mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. many times and uh, I think i I can see what he's doing there but i also cannot see it at the same time but another thing i want to say about this poem is it's it's, i don't know it's it's, someone has once said that it's like every day is a poem or everything is a poem or something you can you can find poetry pretty much everywhere and and this is what i see that's happening in this poem right he's he's taking these, these i mean like both powerful and and um and big things, but also the mundane, the the, the unseen, or the ones that um we overlook. Uh, and he's praising those things, and and he gives them so much meaning. And in a way that what he's doing here is reminding me of a poem that's called "Praise the Rain."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think you guys know about it. If you don't mind, can I just like maybe like. A small part of it. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. So let's see. I think uh, this is. Yeah, I'm reading the second stanza of this poem, "Praise the Rain" by Joy Har- 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 something oh, like yes, Harjo,
0: something like that. Oh yes, I'm familiar.
2: <laughs> yes. I, I feel bad. I just butchered her name, but it's Joy Harjo. <laughs> um. So it says, "Praise crazy. Praise sad. Praise the path on which we are led. Praise the roads on earth and water." the eater and the eating it's beginnings is the end praise the song and praise the singer anyway that's just a little of that's, that and mm-hmm, beautiful yeah, just- and, and it just reminded me of that and just this are two beautiful poems and I'm just yeah just kind of go.
0: <laughs> yeah I definitely agree with you they are very beautiful um it is important to find something to be grateful for I think and Finding it in the little things in life, especially, that's what he seems to highlight in this poem. Um, Something interesting to note also is this form. And again, I have to thank Hope (laughs) for sending this to me. I guess she looked further into it. Um, So this is a praise poem. It's not just a poem titled praise (laughs) and it's a tribute, um, an important part of political and literary expression of Africa. Apparently that's what this article says um Say that again? it says that a praise poem is a tribute an important part of political and literary expression of africa the yes. praise poem form um it says this article also says in zulu praise poetry is called izibongo. i could be mispronouncing that but <laughs>
2: uh where is that article is that about the
0: where is it uh i can send you the link right now actually if you go to the Shit, I apologize for my keyboard
2: sounds there. <laughs> fine, you're completely fine. Um, it's a poem. I can yeah, I could tell like this form is very familiar mm-hmm. to me in, in most, I had never actually, you know, like looked at like an African uh, form of poetry. What? Yeah, a, it, like, it kind of makes sense there.
1: with his background in slam poetry how expressive mm-hmm. the words are and you can feel the energy within the poem.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's something to be said about the fact that he is using a form a poetic form from Africa. Mm-hmm. Um like going back to the roots of praise and then mm-hmm. just naming the poem praise. I mean, it's simple, but it conveys the message. because um, that's that's just what it is. He's just praising another day of life. Um Yeah.
2: Um, As we go back, it's, uh, so I think, uh, Danielle, you did say it, right, it's the bongo, uh, you said it, right. Uh, Something you were talking about, um, how he's going back to his roots, it kind of brings me back to that part in the poem where he talks about how his name cannot be gentrified. And in a way, it's like, you you know, you you can see how he is so rooted, like, in his ancestry or where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And also, another thing I wanted to say about like it being a praise poem, and also the fact that right now I just realized that I, you know you shared this resource with me in Zulu praise poetry is called this bongo, and it's this, it's this African black thing where it's like we take—I um, don't want to use a cliché—take lemons and turn them into lemonades. Everybody does that, but there is a way of taking. Like we always do this, and this is pretty much like black people in general. Like I think the way we to deal with the world, or to, to deal with the heaviness of uh, the things um, that go on, and we just find if we don't find humor in it, or make you know, like manufacture a little bit of humor from the situation, we're gonna turn it into like, okay, I'm praising for this, or I'm I'm going to find beauty in, I don't know, but I I, I think it's a universal thing go
0: ahead yeah I, I understand what you're saying that that seems pretty accurate um, it's really nice to to see this connection and yeah I agree I think in general and I've seen I've seen a lot of people like write articles about this the fact that in hard times poetry proliferates, it becomes more prominent rather than less prominent, so like some people might think that when the country is going through a tough time, people aren't going to care about artistic things like poetry as much, it's going to be more about like material things like working, contributing to the economy, whatever, not like the um, luxuries of life like art, but actually poetry becomes more prominent. Um, That's something that we talked about, I want to say in my Literary analysis class when, no, no, my poetry class, when we were um, talking about poems that were written about 9-11, some of these poems that we read were written way after the time, but it's still reflecting and and showing just how much poetry showed up during such a difficult time for the nation. So in general, yeah, I definitely say that, that poetry is a great medium for conveying emotion during difficult times and that that makes a lot of sense in this poem
1: that was very well said and i definitely <laughs> agree <laughs> and oh, Mary, God. I, I definitely agree with uh, what you said about um it being a part of black culture taking struggles and turning it into something beautiful and that's not something that i immediately thought of while reading this poem so i'm glad she brought that
2: up mm-hmm like I said, I mean tying back everything greater than what we're trying to say here. I think it's also it's uh, it's a universal thing, uh, but probably right now because we are discussing uh, uh, black lives matter and all that. I just yeah, I like to see it that way. Um, and it's I mean I mean of course at the same time it's a little bit like, um, I mean. I don't want to say problematic or it's not entirely like oh you know we take the pain and make something beautiful out of it right, because like right. the same selling the pain and something we're not actually doing that but it's like uh, it's it can be misinterpreted in that sense or yeah
0: but exactly it's like it shouldn't be made to sound like a good thing that someone's experiencing pain because something beautiful comes out of it like that shouldn't have to happen in the first place exactly yeah but yeah I understand what you're saying all right well unless you guys have any finishing thoughts on this poem the next one we have actually is another praise poem i suppose i'm not sure if it's the same form but it is called praise song for the day so um this is a poem that you suggested so if you want to read it then feel free to do so
1: yes absolutely okay Praise Song for the Day by Elizabeth Alexander. Each day we go about our business, walking past each other, catching each other's eyes or not, about to speak or speaking. All about us is noise. All about us is noise and bramble, thorn and den, each one of our ancestors on our tongues. Someone is stitching up a hem, darning a hole in a uniform, patching a tire, repairing the things in need of repair. Someone is trying to make music somewhere with a pair of wooden spoons on an oil drum, with cello, boombox, harmonica, voice. A woman and her son wait for the bus. A farmer considers the changing sky. A teacher says, take out your pencils, begin. We encounter each other in words, words spiny or smooth, whispered or declared, words to consider, reconsider, cross dirt roads and highways that mark the will of someone than others who said i need to see what's on the other side i know there's something better down the road we need to find a place where we are safe we walk into that which we cannot yet see say it plain that many have died for this day sing the names of the dead who brought us here who laid the train tracks raised the bridges picked the cotton and the lettuce built brick by brick, the glittering edifices. They would then keep clean and work inside of. Pray song for struggle, pray song for the day. Pray song for every hand-lettered sign, the figuring get out at kitchen tables. Some live by love, thy neighbor as thyself. Others by first do no harm or take no more, than you need. What if love, what if the mightiest word is love? Love beyond marital, filial, National, love that castle, whitening pool of light, love with no need to preempt grievance. In today's sharp sparkle, this winter air, anything can be made, any sentence begun. On the brink, on the brim, on the cusp, pray song for walking forward in that light.
0: Very pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. When you sent this and I read it, I thought it was really nice. I was happy. Yeah. To read it, so
1: yes, and this poem was delivered at the 2009 presidential inauguration Ooh. for um, President Obama. I think it was very, um, very fitting. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, that fitting. fitting. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: I think you're ready. I don't know, like beautifully.
1: I'm sorry, what? What was that?
2: I said I
1: think you read it beautifully.
2: Like yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> me too.
0: Yeah. Something I notice a lot in this poem is uh, images. Just what seems to be like images in everyday life, and that's interesting to me. Do you guys have a favorite image out of this poem? Would you Would you say?
1: Uh, I... Sorry,
2: Never mind. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh sorry um one one that really stands out to me is the line i'll read it for you all she says sing the names of the dead who brought us here who laid the train tracks raised the bridges picked the cotton and the lettuce and it was really interesting to me i saw in an interview with the poet um elizabeth alexander and her name is krista tippett where she discusses that line and her use of the word lettuce and how because of it um, farmers around the nation or the organization um, called United Farm Workers, they reached out thanking her just for that word alone, lettuce, and how it just acknowledges the, the work that farmers do. And I thought that it's just beautiful for one that she even included it because You never think about you know lettuce farmers
0: yeah exactly
1: (laughs) it just it just takes the poems to just a different world and so yeah
0: yeah I agree with that I think it's nice to have that little acknowledgement there even such a little inclusion of of something like that can mean a lot to a lot of people Mm -hmm. so I think it yeah knowing that little that story that kind of backstory that's pretty cool
1: yes
2: Okay. An interesting backstory and the letters now just even stands out more to me in the poem after <laughs> you shared that um, but for me my uh, image that was, uh, really quick was praise song for every hand lettered sign and the figuring it out at kitchen tables hmm. for some reason I don't know mostly the part the figuring it out at kitchen tables that yeah mm-hmm. I, Definitely. No, I, 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 you know, probably right now in the moment, I don't have an explanation, but I, I could easily visualize it, but like also not. It was like in a blur, but I don't know. I guess because I work a lot at my kitchen table.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the kitchen table really is like the universal place to right? just do things, like. So yes. it <laughs> exactly. makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, I'm trying to see. I'm looking through the images. Uh, let's see. I really like, I really like the end. I like how this poem ends, where where she writes, In today's sharp sparkle, this winter air, anything can be made, any sentence begun, on the brink, on the brim, on the cusp, praise song for walking forward in that light. Like, it really, it kind of just, like, moves you forward to the end. And just the words that she uses brings out what she's trying to convey that anything can be made like anything could be on the tip of someone's tongue right now you could say anything you could really do anything like the future holds so much and in in a way that is very hopeful like that it's very comforting to know that some things aren't decided yet there are some really great things that may not have been done yet that will be and that we have to me it also says that we have the ability to just make the decision to make change Mm -hmm. and i just yeah i just really like how it ends because it does give me that sense of hope like we have the ability to do something at any moment
1: that's that's a great point yeah
2: definitely agree i love how you point out the ending the i think the ending is it's just that one isolated sentence. I mean, it's still part of the rest, but um, yeah, it's like the ending, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I was thinking about as as I was listening, um, Danielle, uh, you know, both, both of these poems we just read feel like prayers to me. Praise, but they also feel like prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I agree with that, and I think part of the reason that is is because it's an appreciation for the things that we have in life and in prayers i'd say a lot of the time we acknowledge to god or whatever entity we might pray to that we do have good things but Mm -hmm. maybe we're struggling we think we think the we think our um what's the word i'm looking for like our power for the things that we have but most of the time when we pray we also are like in need or hurting or desire some change so yeah i think that's part of the reason why these read as prayers because of all the acknowledgement of everything that we already have but also the acknowledgement that something needs to change if that makes sense
1: yes absolutely
0: yeah Um, So we have a link here to the author, which I read some of, and she's just like, she's just done a lot. (laughs) Um, So Elizabeth Alexander, she was born in Harlem, which is definitely important to note. Um, But it also says she grew up in Washington, D.C. She's the daughter of former United States Secretary of the Army and Equal Employment Opportunity Commission Chairman. (laughs) That's a lot of titles. Uh, Clifford Alexander Jr. She holds degrees from Yale, Boston University, and the University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her PhD. Um, And I could just go on. I mean, she's a chancellor of the Academy of American Poets and the Frederick Eisman Professor of Poetry at Yale University. So she's just doing a lot. And uh, she was born in 1962, so, she's in her late 50s right now, I think. And what really, what really makes that interesting to me is, like, this poem sounds like it was written by a young person, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but, and I think that's something I found consistently when reading poems that may have been written by poets when they were, like, later in life, that the words don't necessarily change, their tone doesn't change. There's still that like young spirit, like mm-hmm. regardless of age. So I think that's something interesting to know. And the fact that she's just done a lot in general, <laughs> in life and has so many credentials, <laughs> I think is really cool. And it's it's good to see.
1: Yes, yes. I have a oh,
2: uh, You can go yeah. ahead, at and- oh, <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> sorry. you. Sorry, oh. keeps happening. <laughs> I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work better at it next for the next.
1: Oh, <laughs> I, um, and I like what you said about how she sounds young, because I, I do agree. It just sounds there's a lot of freedom in her words. It's very um, she just says it with confidence. It feels like, and
2: yeah. So I'm sorry, Mary. <laughs> oh no, yeah, it's it's me. It's my I my mouth Um, so I was gonna ask you guys to see the image on the left. Um, yeah,
0: I think that okay. So that image I noticed, it it looks like an like a picture of one of the images in the poem, to me. Did you notice that? It says, um, like in the one, two, the fifth stanza, a woman and her son wait for the bus. That's pretty mm-hmm. much exactly what that looks like in that image. Uh, yeah. I
1: was
2: like, I just kept looking at it. I'm like a connection between two but I feel like there is but yeah
1: <sighs> wow I didn't wow I didn't catch that
0: yeah and I wonder I sense. I wonder why they might have chosen that one in particular to like oh. visualize or make visual but mm-hmm. interesting yeah
1: mm-hmm. maybe with the mm-hmm. background being a road and a highway I don't know maybe I don't know <laughs>
0: yeah there there are a lot of ways to interpret it, I think <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, just the fact that these people are waiting, you know, waiting for the bus, <laughs> waiting can be interpreted in so many ways, okay. like waiting for change, waiting like for what the future holds, like I don't know it could be it could be a lot of different things, <laughs> but and then the road in the background, you know that's how people travel <laughs> and it takes us places so. You could definitely say a lot of things about that image. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean do you guys have any finishing thoughts on this poem? Um
1: I liked it. It was very nice.
2: Uh, very it well is. written. Beautiful <laughs> and it's I, I feel like reading all of it or like just reading this poem, like I am I'm, I'm washed over with a sense of calmness. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way And I think what's really important about these praise poems that we've read in general Is just that they are showing appreciation for the things that we currently have in life And something to be noted for sure is that change is good and great And we definitely need it (laughs) Um, But we will like, I don't know about you But I would be super depressed if I just thought that everything in life was bad (laughs) For me right now so it's, it's really important, I think, for everyone to like take the time sometimes and just think about like what they have and be thankful for what there is, sort of like the basic things in life, maybe not the big overarching things that definitely need to change. <laughs> um, but yeah, just knowing that life isn't always as bad as it may seem. I think that's very important. And especially for our generation, which seems to, and I can even like say this personally, seems to have like a lot more mental health issues. I think it's really important to take the time to just acknowledge the good things in life.
2: I like where your head is at, Danielle. I really actually like you saying all that just has, it kind of hits home. And I I thank you so much for just saying that because I, you're right, it's it's very depressing just to look at everything that's wrong and not to acknowledge this, the small good things. And it's um, something I've been, teaching myself this past couple of weeks
0: and months so. oh yeah same here same here yeah it, in this world it's just unavoidable you know not to talk about these things like I don't know sometimes it feels like the world's ending <laughs> but like especially nowadays but yeah it's 2020 oh my god I know <laughs> it's just so wild but that just I think it just brings me back full circle to literature and especially poetry where really deep ideas, no, I don't want to say deep, but, like, you know what I mean, like, um, like, yeah, I guess deep is the best word I can think of right now, ideas can be conveyed in, I guess, such a small space, because poems are usually short, and, and then also going back to that idea of struggle being turned into something beautiful, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily even the goal of some writers who write these poems, that we end up finding beautiful, if anything, I feel like it's a way for them to just channel how they're feeling, and it, the thought probably doesn't cross the author's mind of you know how are, are people going to find this beautiful? How are they going to perceive it? I could I would bet a lot on a lot of these poems just being written, sort of in the moment as a way to channel emotion and what they're feeling, and not necessarily expecting them to be published or for anyone to see them, and so. And, and I say that also as someone who writes <laughs> poetry because there are a lot of poems that I write sort of spur of the moment, um, just as a way to deal with what I'm feeling. And they may not turn out, you know, quote unquote, beautiful to someone else or however someone might perceive them, but it's for the writer. And I think that a lot of time that's more important than anything else.
2: I like, I like that you say that that was that was beautiful yes and you you said as you were saying it i was like why 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 does she like i feel like she's finding something and i was like oh she's a creative writing major or minor probably yeah she is
0: (laughs) right yeah (laughs) but yeah um i guess that's the overarching idea with these praise poems um next we have i guess a less contemporary poem but still definitely relevant um, so Deja, you chose this one, you can talk, or read it and talk about it, the Audre Lord one.
1: Okay, right, cool. Um, this is called Hanging Fire by Audre Lord. I am 14 and my skin has betrayed me. The boy I cannot live without still sucks his thumb in secret. How come my knees are always so ashy? What if I die before morning and Mama's in the bedroom with the door closed? I have to learn how to dance in time for the next party. My room is too small for me. Suppose I die before graduation. They will sing sad melodies but finally tell the truth about me. There's nothing I want to do and too much that has to be done. And Mama's in the bedroom with the door closed. Nobody even stops to think about my side of it. I should have been on math team. My marks were way better than his Why do I have to be the one wearing braces? I have nothing to wear tomorrow. Will I live long enough to grow up? And Mama's in the bedroom with the door closed. Oof.
0: Yeah. Yeah, This is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you picked this one, I was like, you did good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's just something about this that really hits me. And I guess the first thing that I noticed was the repetition of the lines and Mom is in the bedroom with the door closed. And I'm just, I just wonder what you guys think about that because I'm, I don't really know like why those lines are repeated or like what the significance is. So, do you guys have any opinions on those lines?
1: Um, I honestly am not sure myself. Um, it does really contrast with these these young and open and honest thoughts of this speaker who I assume to be a teenage girl and um, with mama mama's in the bedroom with the door closed it just I, I guess it serves as like a like a, what's, a caution of growing up with these thoughts of um you know when am I going to die or uh, will I live long enough to grow up and how, if you let these thoughts continue to brew, it kind of allows you to shut yourself away from the world and keep your door closed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that she used her mother in this in this context, so so yeah. it may be like a generational mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and yeah. With um with Audre Lord being. Black and a mother herself, maybe she has some experience with this. I'm not I'm not exactly sure why yeah. she used it, but it's impactful.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I don't I wonder what age she was when she wrote this because that might be significant as well. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I'm gonna look that up real quick, probably. But I'm gonna mute my mic so you can't hear my keyboard.
2: <laughs> yeah, when i re- uh, when uh, I read this, I feel like it's looking back. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, at the same time, it makes me very curious. What's the relationship between her and her mother at that age? Mm-hmm. Um. Also, probably, what's the relationship between her as a young girl at fourteen that time, and her as a mother right now? You know, not right now, or whenever she wrote the poem. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, you can tell there is uh, the the heart at the heart of the poem. It's not really about motherhood, but Mama keeps coming throughout
0: all the stanzas. Yeah, that is true. Um, I think I found how old she was when she wrote this. Let me do some math. <laughs> she was 40, <laughs> apparently, or at least that's when this was published, I think. So I guess it's interesting to think about that she was reflecting on her experiences when she wrote this, which I suppose is common among poets to do so when they write something about their childhood. Um, so, the way that I interpret the, the the repetition of the lines, and mom was in the bedroom with the door closed, is, like, her her mom is, like, resigned to the problems that she's experiencing. Like, she, she went through them when she was young, um, and she's just been through it. <laughs> yeah. And now that her daughter's going through it, she's kind of, like, stoic? I don't know if that's the right word, like... Resigned is really the main word that I can think of. She's just, like, this is just how it is and doesn't really have anything to do with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which which highlights, of course, like, the experience of people of color, like, that it's, like, a norm to be treated a certain way. I mean, the last stanza where she says, I should have been on math team, my marks are better than his, like... Yeah, and then and the repetition of those lines to me is is that she just knows how the world worked at the time and still works to this day and her mother that is. And so that's why she's kind of just separating herself. Um that's how
2: I perceive it or how I interpret it. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. Do you think she's referring to the same boy in the poem? Because she says the boy I cannot live without still sucks his thumb. She uh, says in the second step. um, Yeah, that's a good
0: question. I'm not sure, honestly. I didn't originally (laughs) think about that boy as the same person as the one mentioned about the math team. Um, But, you know, that could be.
1: Yeah, I think... That would be interesting to see if they were the same person. Um, Looking at the the line where my marks were better than his, the his, um, yeah, it was, the word his was kind of a replacement word for anyone. And how um, she felt that because of the fact that her grades were at a certain standard that she should have been on the math team. So I didn't really think about his being, that's interesting though. Wow, wait. Yeah, Dad, that, that is whole line though, is really interesting to me. Um, the boy that I can't live without. Yeah, yeah
0: that's interesting to me because she is she does identify as a lesbian woman, so, mm-hmm. but it's also yeah. it's also worth noting that a lot of people don't figure out their sexuality until later in life. So yeah. she could have loved like a boy when she was younger. Um, mm-hmm. But it is interesting to me that, that this is mentioned in the poem.
2: Um, some of the things that are coming up to me as I'm also like looking or I keep thinking about this poem is how so the past two poems we've read uh you know basically you, you can tell it's really grounded in the black experience you know what it means to be black and this point is still too but in a way then it brings in like the normal parts you know of like the, the entirety of like maybe let's say the black experience i don't know if it makes sense um mm-hmm. it's it's like discussing the, the 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 mundane the silly the the the, the the popular, the things, and then you know when she talks about how, am my knees, ashi I've felt that as a black girl, as, yeah. yeah <laughs> um, and then she even says my skin has betrayed me right at the second. And she moves on to the boy I can't live without, still sucks his thumb. And then she keeps on bringing about, uh, bringing up this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's there is so much happening in this poem, and in a way, uh, I don't want to say that she's. I think she is normalizing the black, like black soul's life in a way. It's, it's and by normalizing that, I don't mean just talking about only the bad, only the the, the racism or this or this or this. It's it's everything that every other person on this world experiences as well. You know, mm-hmm. Since if it's uh, it's it's I don't know whatever uh, depression or anxiety or. worrying about school grades or you know gender biases or um worried about a boy that's that you can't live without but still sucks his his thumb i think that's funny it still sucks um (laughs) then mother keeps coming back up yeah (laughs) Oh, guys, this is, this is so not... I do not want to share this, but I, I was the kid who used to suck their too,
0: so <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> there are plenty of, of, of us like that, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad i not alone. But anyway, I, that that's good. That's okay. Yeah, that
0: I, good. I understand what you're saying for sure. Yeah, I think it's very important. And to those, I guess, to ignorant people it humanizes like black people because audrey lord i mean she's writing about not just about she's writing about the experience like you were saying so it, it's it's very important to get the full picture of someone's life and not just view them as oh you know this is a black person this is a white person not identify by that necessarily just that but everything that makes up that identification if that makes sense like everything she writes about in this poem contributes to her being a black woman at the time a young girl and growing up um yeah in that way so yeah i think it is very important to to have written and for people to continue to write about the full experience growing up um as a person of color But yeah, um, let me look here. Yeah, so I mean that's pretty much I think those are my final thoughts. Do you guys have anything else you want to
2: talk about with this poem? I'm good
1: on it. Gonna respond to (laughs) these. Oh, um yeah, I I think that's all that I have. Okay. I, I really, really like
0: this poem, though. <laughs> me too, me too. It's I really do awesome like it.
2: The poems are right, they're like,
0: wow. All right. So the next one we have, Mary picked, um, and it is, yeah, I think it's a prose poem. That's what we think, at least. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can read that if you'd like.
2: I don't mind, um, it's by Claudia Rankine and, um, maybe, uh, sorry, don't let me be lonely, there was a time, Claudia Rankine, there was a time I could, I could say no one I knew, I knew well had died, this is not to suggest no one died, when I was eight my mother became pregnant, she went to the hospital to give birth and returned without the baby, where is the baby? We asked. Did she shrug? She was the kind of woman who liked to shrug. Deep within her was an everlasting shrug. That didn't seem like a death. Years went by, and people only died on television if they weren't black, they were wearing black, or were terminally ill. I returned home from school one day and saw my father sitting on the steps of our home. He had a look that was unfamiliar. It was flooded. Leaking, I climbed the steps as far away from him as I could. I could get. He was breaking, or broken, to be more precise. He looked to me like someone understanding his aloneness, loneliness. His mother was dead. I had never met her. Home um, for him, when he returned, he spoke neither about the airplane or the funeral. Every movie I saw while in the third grade compelled me to ask: Is he dead? Is she dead? Because the characters often live against all odds it is the actors who whose mortality concerned me if it were an old black and white film whoever was around would uh would answer yes months later the actor would show up on some late night talk show to promote his latest efforts i i would turn and say one or a stance to say you said he was dead and the misinformed would claim i never said he was dead yes you did no i didn't Inevitably, we get older. Whoever is still with us says, stop asking me that. Or if one begins asking oneself that same question differently, am I dead? Though this question at no time explicitly translates into should I be dead, eventually the suicide hotline is called. You are, as usual, watching television, the 8 o'clock movie when, when number flashes on the screen. one suicide You dial the number. Do you feel like killing yourself? The man on the other end of the receiver asks. Tell him, I'm already dead. When he makes no response, you add, I'm in death's position. He finally says, don't believe what you're thinking and feeling. He asks, where do you live? 15 minutes later, the doorbell rings. You explain to the ambulance attendant that you had a momentary lapse of happily. The noun happiness is a static state of some platonic ideal no better than to pursue modifying process had happily or unhappily experienced a momentary pause this kind of thing happens perhaps is still happening he shrugs and in turn explains that you need to come quietly or he will have to restrain you if he is forced to restrain you he will have to report that he is forced to restrain you it is it is this simple resistance will only make matters more difficult the resistance will only make matters worse Hello, I'll have to restrain you. His tone suggests that you should try to understand the difficulty in which he finds himself. This is further disorienting. I'm fine. Can't you see that? He climbed into the ambulance and assisted. And that's the end of it.
1: Ooh, that. was it's, it's so powerful. Every time I read it, it's, it, it gets more and more powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, something that really stood out to me about this poem is the part where she dials a suicide hotline. <laughs> uh-huh. um, not really understanding, I suppose, like, the purpose of it. Because um, she doesn't want to die. She, she says that she feels like she's already dead. So, that is interesting to me. Um, Mary, it seems like you, because you wrote uh, for discussion mental health in the black community, um, and being black means feeling alone a lot, sometimes, or always. Um, You wanna elaborate on how you interpret that from this poem, because I definitely see it, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say.
2: Um so I wanna also kind of just be specific here and um say I don't wanna speak for everyone. Um I think I think for me uh it came from like a personal personal you know uh perspective but also you know from friends uh friends friends um started with and um So starting off with the, you know, mental health in the Black community, Uh, the Black community is very, very diverse. There is, uh, you know, like the uh, Africans, Afro-Caribbeans, Afro-Latinas, you know, uh, and then we have Afro-Americans. And so it's just a very diverse uh, community of Black people all over. I think uh, the way, I know mental health is still a very, very young topic and thing to deal with in many communities. And now uh, that we're focusing in on black communities um i mean like let's say where i come from it's not a thing uh you know uh i you know you say i have you know if you like i've been diagnosed with depression everybody's like what are you talking about that's rich people sicknesses or illnesses or that's white people's thing uh illnesses. like we black people do not suffer from that kind of thing or we do not harbour s- diseases of the soul or what you could call i don't know and so there is so much like either like denial and uh, I don't know, like in, like encouraged ignorance and, and it's or cheered on like ignorance or just, um, I, I don't want to go into that. But and then of course I, I know that there is a, a large part of the community that is working towards, you know, like educating and, and, and spreading awareness about this. But uh, getting into that, um, how for me mostly, uh, you know, being let's say a black African or just a black woman, it has felt uh, very lonely. And just to give a little bit of context, it's um, let's say I, ca- I come from Rwanda or like from Africa, and the continent is pretty black. Uh, a few from uh, uh, apart from a few countries, and mostly Rwanda where I was, or let's say the town or the sector or district I was in, you you barely ever saw white people, uh, or any people, or other people. So uh, I come in here, I mean, in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, (laughs) It did hit me for like a week or two. I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) Like, oh no, I'm black. I mean, it's not like it was a bad thing or anything, but it's it like, it creeps up on you, like something in the air. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just everywhere I went in the restaurant, I looked around to see who looks like me, you know? Like sometimes I would spot like one uh, waitress or one bartender or none, and it's just me in there. And it's okay, I'm safe in there. I I, I mean, I, I like to think I, I am safe, I, I'm optimistic. And I'm with, let's say people who care about me and I am and genuinely trying to enjoy myself, but I feel so displaced. I feel so alone in the same time. And I have had so many moments like this ever since um, coming here for education. But yeah, um, and of course eventually you're gonna f I, you know, I found myself in many other experiences and I mean I'm even just talking about just our experiences of four years and I'm thinking about Adesha who has lived here her whole life. I mean, we both have different stories. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I just uh, I want to hear from you, uh, what you think about you know like, uh, you know I mean being Black times, it's, it's a kind of a lonely experience, and 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 it doesn't have to be, um. But, yeah, I don't know. For me, that's how kind of it is right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that was very insightful. Yeah, yeah that was, wow. Well, I appreciate
2: I appreciate
0: you sharing. <laughs> I, know. I
2: don't. Know, yeah, I don't know how to speak without sharing my personal. <laughs> and I know I'm like, yourself. Like, come on. Me what? too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm
0: interested. No, but genuinely, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm sure we all appreciate that. That's great to yes. hear your perspective. And don't don't ever feel like you can't share just because we're doing a podcast. It's it's great to to hear this, and it's important for people to hear this and to hear what you. Have to say about, I mean, especially as someone who wasn't born and raised in this country, like coming from a whole different place where you see mostly people like you, and then being put in this place where it's like probably mostly white people, if not like just a kind of a mixed bag, I guess depending of of what region you're in here. But yeah, that that I can understand how you would feel that way. But yeah, I am interested. if you want to share your experience with Deja, then that, that would be perfectly fine. If not, then that's fine, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'll share, like, an experience from high school to college to Hendrix. Um, uh, I went to Little Rock Central High School, and it's known for the Little Rock Nine and the desegregation of the, at the time, um, an all-white school in 1957. And so that being there was extremely diverse and um coming to Hendrix it was a little bit of a culture shock I it it was hard for me to find a group that felt not comfortable but just yeah comfortable felt welcomed Mm -hmm. in and um it it does feel lonely. It it does feel lonely when you when you feel like you you look around in the classroom and you're the only black student. Um, um, so that was hard. That was a really hard adjustment to make. And the one thing that this poem that it really felt familiar to me was um, how she. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. How she explains these traumatic events that happen within um, her family and how they follow her throughout her life. And this transition from I would turn on the TV or um, while I was in the third grade to the second person pronoun where she uses you explain to the ambulance attendant you climb into the ambulance unassisted, it It really, it makes it a lot more intimate and it makes me reflect on even like times in my life where, um, I felt kind of helpless or I felt unhappy, felt unwelcomed and how sometimes I do just disregard these emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, just for a temporary comfort. And that's something that I did do um, in my first weeks at Hendrix. And so just reading this and connecting with her, even though it's written in, I think, uh, 1963. Well, no, she was born in 1963. But from someone who was born in 1963, Mm -hmm. um, connecting with her, it's... I don't, it's, it's wild,
0: <laughs> really mm-hmm. wild. Yeah, I, th- I, think. I i think I understand what you're saying. It's, like, comforting to have that, but I'd mm-hmm. say it's also sad to know that those feelings are still common yes, and universal, exactly. even though it's been years and years and years <laughs> mm-hmm. after. Exactly, And I completely understand how you would feel coming into Hendrix, because the fact of the matter is, it is a, a majority, like, white school, And I mean, it's, it's sad. And I think that there's a petition going around for there to be a diversity, um, learning domain or something like that, which I guess is a start, but I just, you know, like even as a white person, (laughs) I'm not happy to see that, that this is the case with the majority of people at Hendrix being white and us not being as diverse as we could be and should be. And yeah, I definitely, you know, can't say that I've experienced the same thing that you have, but I feel for you and I hate that, you know, that's something you've had to go through. Um, but hopefully over the course of your time here, um, you'll settle in more and find people and it'll it'll get better in that way. Um, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I think that... Just like all of these poems that we've been looking at, this is important because it has relatability, um, like amongst Black people, it conveys the Black experience, but not just generally, but a specific part of it, which is what Mary pretty much like immediately hit the nail uh, on the head of, which is like feeling alone, Black people feeling alone, um, mental health in the Black community. I mean the fact that again the one eight hundred like suicide like hotline number was mentioned in here is just that should just shout it you know right away. <laughs> um, it's it's just interesting to think about the dynamic. Why did the speaker in this poem decide to call this number even though she didn't feel like killing herself? She felt like she was already dead. I guess when you're young you kind of get ideas mixed up, so that that could be part of it, but um, it's just sad. It just makes me feel sad to see this, and I mean, I've definitely had my mental health struggles. I've been in an ambulance before <laughs> um, due to those, but I have not, it doesn't come from the same experience as it, as it does when it relates to the Black experience, obviously, because I'm not Black. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like this poem to an extent can relate to people in general with mental health, but especially especially with those in the black community. So it's a really important poem in that way, I'd say. Yeah. I agree. Alrighty.
2: Well <laughs> do you guys yeah, I think we need to do the last poem.
0: Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that if you guys don't have any finishing thoughts on that i mean there's just so much we could say
2: but it's so just was,
0: yeah
2: right <laughs> now i was saying like we don't have to do the last poem because i ran late and you know oh, we, oh. Uh, we can always you know
0: no no we can do the last poem um i think that's a, something also is a uh, citizen did you say how's her name
2: pronounced claudia yeah Rankine. yeah, yeah it uh, heard in person and it was you guys you should
0: wonderful. Right, right. Citizen was a book um, that was assigned as part of, like, the syllabus for my literary analysis class, but it's not one that we actually got to. So now, after seeing that you suggested an excerpt from it, I think that I'll read it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I think we, I think we didn't do it because we had to transition to online, actually, and She was having to cut stuff, and she really hated to cut it, but she did. So I still have the book and everything, and after reading this earlier to, like, get an idea of what we were going to be talking about, I I was thinking to myself, I really need to just read this entire thing. (laughs) But yeah, we can, um, if you guys don't really have any finishing thoughts on the last one, since we kind of just went everywhere, (laughs) then we can move on to, uh, the final poem, if you'd like, but there's no rush. This can go for as long as we want to, really. (laughs) Okay, cool, I, I appreciate
2: that you have a little bit of, uh, like there is flexibility. And I just, uh, just a few last things I wanna say about the um, Don't Let Me Be Lonely. I like how in the parentheses there, is, there was a time and I don't know if that's kind of hope or something. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is something that I wondered about um, because, yeah, cause Don't Let Me Be Lonely, I guess is just the title and then there was a time seems to be an identifier for the poem, being, like, the first few words of the poem. Um, But I wonder if it means, like, there was a time when she felt lonely, but that doesn't really seem accurate because I feel like that that is a feeling that a lot of people experience in a lot of different times in their life. So, yeah, that is something to think about. Let's see. Mm All right. Um, so, do you think we're ready for the final one? I think Yes. All righty. So, Mary, mm-hmm. you can read that if you'd
2: like. I would like to read it. All right. Um. Citizen One, poem by Claudia Rankine. The woman you don't know wants to join you, you're visiting her campus, a cafe where in the yeah in the calf where you both order the Caesar salad. This overlap is not the beginning of anything because she immediately points out that she, her father, her grandfather, and you all attended the same college. She wanted her son to go there as well. Because of affirmative action or minority something, she's not sure what they are calling it these days and Warren. Weren't they supposed to get rid of it? Hassan wasn't accepted. You're not sure if you are meant to apologize for this failure of your alma mater's legacy program. Instead, you ask where he ended up. Prestigious school she mentions doesn't seem to assuage uh, her irritation. This exchange, in effect, ends your lunch. The salads arrive. Friend friend argues that Americans battle between the historical self and the self-self. By this, she means you mostly interact as friends with mutual interests and, for the most part, compatible personalities. However, sometimes sometimes your historical selves, her white self and your black self, or your white self and her black self, arrive with the full force of your American positioning. When
1: mm-hmm. you are standing
2: face to face, in seconds that wipe the affable smiles right from your mouth, what did you say? Instant- instantaneously, your attachment seems fragile, tenuous, subject to any transgression of your historical self. And though your joint personal histories are supposed to save you from misunderstandings, they usually cause you to understand all too well what is meant.
0: All right. Well, the first thing that I thought about this this I guess excerpt when I read it was just how relevant it is (laughs) nowadays like I mean yeah a woman you do not know wants to join you for lunch You're visiting her campus like you know that's something I'm sure we could we can all kind of relate to when (laughs) when making our visits and trying to decide where to go to school um but yeah I think the the second passage uh a friend argues that Americans battle between the historical self and the self-self. Um, that's that's really important nowadays, during this um, like this next rising of the Black Lives Matter movement and the conversations that are being held amongst black and white people, and the fact that we have to we have to acknowledge. Our, our, we have to acknowledge our historical selves, even if we don't want to, necessarily. Um, and it'll always come up, even if we don't want it to. I think that that's kind of what, what she touches on here, and I think that that's extremely <laughs> relevant nowadays.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I really love this poem, and <laughs> one thing that really stood out to me was the line um instantaneously your attachment seems fragile tenuous subject to any transgression of your historical and right off the bat those word choices are just really really accurate Um, Mm -hmm. the sentence fragile tenuous transgression it's just really powerful and um just this this whole conversation of the historical self and the self self and it's just like you said it's really relevant and it's a conversation that we sh- we should have
0: mm-hmm.
1: this let me get my thoughts together um... <laughs> it's okay <laughs> um... I don't know it's like with the first half talking about the generations her d- different generations attending the college and jumping ahead to the historical selves it almost seems like the um miss claudia rank rank ranking ranking she she's toying with this idea that um generations going attending a college is important Mm -hmm. but looking back at our historical selves should be hushed in certain scenarios. And Mm -hmm. which is, which is funny because generational trauma is is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) I think it's,
0: it's pretty likely she could, she could be highlighting like the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. of the prestigious, like white families they go to like these good schools and they they love talking about how these how their family members have been a part of this like school for generations but those are the same people oftentimes who don't want to acknowledge like their past of owning slaves and just being or like pers- people who were enslaved and being on the wrong side of history pretty much they love to brag i guess about the good things that pertain to them historically but don't want to acknowledge those exactly. that don't look good yeah. on them
1: right right
2: um, what are you thinking about as I chose this poem was um again, it goes back to what you guys have already said, how relevant this point is for right now. And I think, I mean, for pretty much throughout American history, but uh, no, actually not, not pretty much American history. I take that back part of American history. But uh, the part where, um, i meant to apologize for this failure of your alma mater's legacy program or just the, the whole essence of the poem is about like the discomfort of not having these conversations. Or, or it's what's happening right now. It's how we are trying to, to talk about how to find spaces or how to navigate talking about Black Lives Matter, the Black experience, normalizing Black lives. or um, Calling out white people on when they say you know, um, racist or diminishing or um, I don't know, but it's it's for me the poem just constantly, constantly as I keep reading it, something about having the uncomfortable conversations around surrounding race mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. keeps coming back to me, and um, I like how, uh, again, you guys pointed out that second stanza. I, I, I really enjoyed that one mostly, and, and the battle between the historical self and the self-self, and I'm just thinking about how that is different for, you know, for all of us, and yeah, it's, like, it's, a, it's a powerful poem. Um, it
0: is, it really is, and yeah, I agree with all of that, Um, and I can envision <laughs> The person, the, I guess the woman that's being talked about in the first stanza, who says that her son wanted to go to the speaker's alma mater, but because of affirmative action or minority something, she's not sure they're calling this is, and weren't they supposed to get rid of it, her son wasn't accepted. When I first read this, I was envisioning um, the woman and her son as being part of the minority for some reason, but now I'm pretty sure it's the opposite, because <laughs> she's, like, upset that her probably white son didn't get accepted because the university or whatever they were trying to get into was trying to, was trying to be inclusive so only accepts a certain amount of different races. Um, it's just like, what gall this person is? I'm just like thinking it's just, I, ugh, it just angers me that people like this exist and that assuming that the speaker in this poem is a person of color, that this woman who is probably white, is going to sit down and complain about this <laughs> to the speaker. It's just <laughs> like, I can't. It's just too much. <laughs> it but, is.
1: Yeah. Man. And the fact that she even mentions like affirmative action mm-hmm. and weren't they supposed to get rid of it. I know. Orchard's it's used. like... <laughs> man. And She's just... Oh,
0: I can imagine this person and I don't like it. But I think that's, that's like, a good part about this poem, that um, Claudia Rankine, Rankine I, forget, I keep on forgetting how to pronounce her last name, and I feel bad. But, um, yeah, that she was able to capture this, like, scene and these characters, just in, like, this small, like, space, like, these few short sentences was really, I think that's really, that's cool, and that, that shows her skill in writing and and kind of accomplishes her goal.
2: Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Adesha, I'm sorry I did that again. Oh, no, 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 I was just agreeing with
1: her. it's
2: okay. Okay, Um, I know when (laughs) Danielle is like, yeah, I'm probably imagining this uh, woman to be white. Ah, she's white, because if she's uh, (laughs) saying, but because of the affirmative action or minority something, I don't think any minority or uh, uh, person like a oh,
1: person of color
2: would be would be saying this yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be really messed up but uh, yeah I'm mm-hmm. definitely
0: imagining me a white um, one yeah I don't very even awesome. know how I was interpreting it at first like <laughs> I guess I wasn't thinking about what affirmative action was but yeah <laughs> for sure I can definitely see
2: <laughs> what it <laughs> is <Yeah. laughs>
0: You can't even tell she,
2: she's not informed about it. She's just, like, throwing words out there, a minority something, and it's just... I mean, it's... it's but sadly, it's hilarious. I don't know, like... I, yeah, I know exactly.
0: You,
2: you know, like, I, li- I literally read this part and I just want to bust out laughing, and I'm like... It's, <laughs>
0: exactly, because it just, like, shows her ignorance, and yeah. with ignorance, like, sometimes it can be, you know, cause, like, a lot of pain for people, but sadly. in the less bad settings when it's like a person like this, I guess it's just laughable. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think I think that this is a really good poem to to end this episode with actually, especially because yeah. of that last stanza. That this is a good takeaway I think from this episode and anyone who might be listening right now. Um this conversation like, has to be had among black people and white people about the historical self and who we currently are. Many people want to make the argument that, oh, you know, I didn't, like, own people who were enslaved. You know, my ancestors did. It's not me, so, like, why are you getting upset at me? Like, it doesn't really matter because that's still a part of your history. And just, like, there are no... I guess, um, African-American people nowadays are people of color who are alive to have, like, been slaves at that point or people who were enslaved. Um, it doesn't matter. Like, it's still... this is On both sides, it's still part of our history, and we have to acknowledge that there's that dynamic there that's tough to talk about, but it needs to be had because these things just keep going on, like... And, and that's why we have the Black Lives Matter movement, and it doesn't need to just go away after this like popular burst it needs to keep on going (laughs) until we see actual change and that's going to require a lot of self-reflection for some people i think and a lot of tough conversations as i was saying and so this poem i think captures that really well and again like i have to remark on just like how little space there is in poetry most of the time but how well she conveys these ideas in that space if that makes sense well, but yeah uh-huh. um, you guys have any any finishing thoughts or remarks you'd like to make I guess just overall about all of this all of what all, all the poetry that we have discussed and the ideas that we've talked about
2: um,
1: it's just it's still a little surprising how uh, relatable all these poems were and just the different perspectives that each one gave and uh, especially with it being 2020 we're in the middle of, a, of an epidemic and still being able to relate to a 14 year old saying that her face betrays her it's just her skin betrays her it's just um, really interesting, really enlightening
2: too. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, don't, I don't know, I'm going to kind of go, I uh, probably end on that. Uh, uh, I did not see coming, but I guess just the uh, the act or the, right, what we just did, just sit down and uh, with this poetry and i mean we've been sitting with it for a couple of days um, but to actually listen to each other and how we feel about it or what it it, it um, sparks within us and what we see and what we don't see and what we cannot see and all the size in between all wordlessness i um it feels um feels like a like a like a good outlet in a way and uh It's
0: like being hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a good idea to leave everyone with that. It's good to it's good to have conversations about everything that's happening, and poetry is a is a great way to do that, especially as it relates to the experiences of people of color, because these are, these are things that have been going on for a long time. That we can, that as adesia was saying, we can see, you know, years ago and still see today. And it's it's nice to be able to just sit down, um, like Mary was saying, and talk about this. So, yeah, I mean, I think this was a really good first episode topic for sure. Very relevant, and it'll probably always be relevant, but especially right now. Um... So, yeah, um, thank you guys so much for agreeing to be on this. I'm really, really glad that we did this and that that you guys came through.
2: (laughs) Thank you guys for the.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Relit. Join us next time for yet another dive into the world of literature and language.